Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays Amin's floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get Amin in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show hey listener underdog fantasy is the easiest place to play fantasy sports also the fastest growing fantasy app in the industry you can play pick them pick whether your favorite players will have a higher or lower total in each stat for this week's games for a chance to win big you can actually win up to 100 times your money in a single night that's right i didn't say 10 i didn't say 20 up to 100 times your money Pick between two and five players, build a pick'em entry. My favorite feature, you can make rivals picks. Pit two players against each other. Wembenyama versus Nikola Jokic. Tim Hardaway Jr. versus Norm Powell. Kawhi Leonard versus Steph Curry. Who knows? Maybe Grayson Allen versus Pat Connaughton. You get where I'm going with that. You can do it all with Underdog Fantasy. Make sure you sign up today with the promo code DING. That's D-I-N-G. And get your first deposit doubled up to $100 as well as an instant pick'em special. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the app store. And don't forget to register with our promo code DING, D-I-N-G, to get your first deposit doubled up to $100 as well as an instant Pick them special must be 18 or older and present in a state where underdog fantasy operates terms apply concern with your play call 1-800-522-4700 or visit www.ncpgambling.org. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest edition of the Woke Bros. Of course, I'm Big Waz, a.k.a. Wosni Lambre, 
Jordan is always by my partner on the west side of Los Angeles. Nando Vila, what's going on with you, brother? It's going well. You know, I always wonder whether you're going to do it in the French accent or I guess the, you know, or or in the normal American accent. And I'm, I'm always like, what's he going to do today? And today <laughs> you got to keep these people happy. on their yeah. toes, Nando. You got to keep them on their yeah. toes. I'm excited about today's show because we got a really jam-packed show today. Jacobin Mag put out a report or a story, I should say, about how Americans are being literally worked to death by capital. Um, It's by Alex Press, friend of the show, uh, great, great writer for Jacobin. Uh, We're going to get into that. New York Times put out (laughs) (laughs) just an amazing story slash expose on a woman, an academic, a liberal, progressive, whatever type of adjective you want to use, academic named Andrea Smith, who has been lying about being Cherokee for 30 freaking years now. Uh, They go into the ups, the downs, the peaks, the valleys, the lies, the deceit of this woman insisting upon being called indigenous for no reason at all but we'll get into the reasons we'll get yeah into there the is reason. reason there is there a are reason. reasons yeah. Yeah. and we'll get into those um but first uncle joe might not be fdr after all <laughs> uh, as first reported by the washington post nando uh it makes it clear and we got this from jacobin mag as well shouts to everybody at jacobin bosch the whole crew It makes it clear, Nando, the next Biden budget budget proposal expected later this week will jettison key campaign components, most notably its pledge to overhaul health care policy by enacting a public option. We knew that wasn't really going to come. Arguably, the centerpieces (laughs) of domestic agenda during last year's Democratic primaries also on the chopping block this week are promised measures to lower prescription drug costs. No big deal. Oh, biggie! <laughs> it's just the, the the freaking drugs that keep a bunch of people alive. No, no biggie. Let's just continue to price gouge, uh, raise the estate tax because you know everybody knows that's just essential to the economy and to normal everyday working Americans. It's like they need that estate tax for you know the money that they don't get passed down to them by their rich relatives. Also, <laughs> um, Biden is bailing on relieving student debt. Which is yeah. something that, you know, he was hanging his hat. He was doing a lot of chatting on student debt. He truly, yeah. truly was. Um, and, and, and again, this is something that people are going crazy about. And, you know, we have to be honest with our listeners on the show. And when, when Uncle Joe is doing things that we like and that we think are great, we call them out and we say, hey, this guy surprised us. He he did something that's legitimately progressive and legitimately is going to help a bunch of normal working people. When he doesn't, we got to say what it is, man. Like this dude backtracking on a bunch of stuff that are going to materially, tangibly change the lives of tens upon millions of Americans. We got to call this thing out because, again, he did get a lot of great early press for how progressive a lot of the the, the stuff that he was chasing was. Um, but inevitably, he's going back to being that same centrist, freaking mealy mouth dem that we hate more than anybody. Because, again, I say this all the time. 
Mitch McConnell is evil and as ghoulish as he is. He doesn't pretend to be anything else. He doesn't pretend to be some champion of working people. He doesn't pretend to care about the little guy. He does not pretend. He makes everything known. Like, I'm here to destroy the Dems, shovel as much money back up top as I can. I, I don't have any other cho- um, jobs <laughs> out here. And he's, so he's doing what he sets out to do publicly. Biden tries to position himself as some people's champion, some everyday Joe, Joe six-pack, I take the train to Congress every day type of phoniness, and it's bullshit. Yeah. I think what's 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 obvious about the first few months of the Biden administration is that he's willing to break with a lot of like Obama's thinking on spending, that like he's just down to spend more money on things like the stimulus package and you know they're betting big on this infrastructure bill which are nice things but he is not willing at all to do anything structural to change the balance of power in America you know so that's what all those reforms would do especially healthcare right i mean mm-hmm. the america's nightmare healthcare system is a huge cudgel that bosses and capital have against workers right you know it's like if you take that off the bargaining table then you know workers don't have to bargain with their bosses for healthcare. It's like it's like it's one less thing. You know that we could just talk about wages and time off and things Nando, like that. Like when you have, Nando, I'm not yeah. afraid to say I can speak from experience. Employers, they explain to you, you're lucky we're giving you benefits. You healthcare, literally, yeah. literally. Well, we're giving you healthcare. What do you need more yeah. compensation for? We're giving you healthcare, yeah. motherfucker. Take exactly. it. Here's the pat on the ass and go on your way. Yeah. And the public option, like it it wouldn't be the transformative thing that Medicare for all would be, which would just like liberate Americans from the shackles of so many things. Like it's like literally chains flying off of Americans if, if we got Medicare for all. But it would make a it would make a difference. So, you know, the public option would give people the option to opt into Medicare and Medicare is nice. Like, yeah, you'd pay for it. But it, it it's it's better than having to um, have your employer give you private insurance essentially so um so yeah but that and that was like the big thing that biden was talking about he's like i'm not for medicare for all like bernie is but i'm for the public option and then just like within the first year like record time they're backing off of it you know like it was which was obvious that's going to happen because what it, what it looks like to me um is that biden is not going to do anything that will encounter resistance from an organized industry group, you know, like, and at the end of the day, healthcare is at one sixth of the American economy, like one sixth of the entire American economy is tied up. Yes, it is. Um, That's just like a leech on our system, uh, just extracting money from our bodies and giving it to healthcare uh, executives and shareholders. Um, and, you know, obviously any reform to that system is going to encounter like furious revenge and anger and organization from from those people. But the student debt one is absolutely mind boggling to me that they're backing off of that because student debt, unlike medical debt, like I agree that if I could if I could wipe away one of those two debts, I would wipe away medical debt. The fact that 100%. there is medical debt in the United States is a crime, like it's literally criminal. Um, you know, that just you get sick and then all of a sudden you're in debt. Like, but student debt, unlike medical debt, is not held by private actors. You know, there is no 
like it's not held by uh, insurance companies or banks or whatever. Like it's held by the government. So the government could just like not collect it and nothing would happen. Like nothing, no one would lose money, right. you know, which is where, which is in America, how things work. Like, you know, who has to take a haircut if we're canceling medical debt? Well, people who own medical debt, but who has to take a hair, haircut if we cancel student debt is essentially nobody because the government owns it. You know, they right. could just like wipe it away with a pen. They don't even need Congress. Like he could just with a signing of a piece of paper, he could wipe away all of student the debt. The wave which of is, a pen. With the wave of a pen, which is one and a half trillion dollars. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that we complain about was like the a lot of the sort of annoying kind of PMC stuff that we see in the media and like, you know, with canceling people and shit like that. A lot of that goes, I think, is tied to the presence of student debt. Because it's a lot of young people who are overeducated, like have gotten great ed educations, um, are working in shitty media jobs that are no longer stable or secure or well-paying. Plus, they have this massive debt. So, like, the system is just not working for them. So, they're they're angry. And it's like a temper, it's a temper tantrum, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and canceling student debt would go a long way to changing the culture um, in America in that sense. Because the people who control our culture, people who work in the media business, um, all are just like, saddled with student debt like yep. just absolutely saddled with it um so you know yeah, what man, Nando, and i wonder how much of this on biden's side this feels like ideology to me totally um, it's 100%. just the the idea that well these people paid for these people bought this they should pay for it meaning yeah. they bought this education on a loan they should have to pay for it like that just seems like ridiculously ideological just it just is. neoliberal pay yeah. pay for shit you know what i'm saying pay yeah. your debts type of you know uh, uh what do they always call it tighten up the belt you know what yeah, I mean? yeah, like, yeah it's 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 this nonsense rhetoric that you hear from certain you know market cultists who are always obsessed with this idea of the consumer is a pig and we shouldn't feed into their pig tendencies these idiots you know they loaded up on debt so it's their fault and they need to pay for right. it this is what it feels like well it's not just that but this is like a relatively new thing that debt is a one-sided thing in the american ideological kind of plane that debt is just something that an individual chooses to get into and not a two-sided hmm. agreement between right. a debtor and a creditor. Right. And it used to be that creditors were vilified. Like right. that was like you a thing. You should have never like, gave them the money. <laughs> exactly. And like that was, the onus used to be on the creditors. I mean, that's that's why like, you know, fucking organized religions had like tithing laws and shit, you know, like because, <laughs> and like, you know, like that the mafia um, was seen as like this evil thing because they were doing loan sharking and shit like that. And it's like, that was seen, like the creditor was seen as the villain. Right. You know, right. but in America, subtly, point. we've we've shifted that to the debtor, you yeah. know, and the debtor is this just kind of individual actor who's just like chosen to get into debt just the way like you choose to buy, uh, you know, toilet paper off the shelf in a store. And, you know, debt is a two way relationship between debtor and creditor. Both people like have agency in that equation. And, yep. you know, like if you kind of saddle someone with debt, like it, it used to be seen that you were a criminal, like that was a criminal thing to do. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's that one, the, the student debt one is just pure ideology, like zombie ideology, like you said, because there is no, there is no real interest that is organizing against it. 
There just isn't. It's not like medical debt. Like I understand a politician cowering in the face of like the healthcare lobby, which is fucking massive. Right. You know, from the doctors to the insurance companies yep. to the parts manufacturers to the mm-hmm. to the fucking hospitals. Like so the I workers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. and they can always use the workers as a meat shield. Like, hold on, there's of millions of people who work in this industry. We don't want to lose of those course. jobs. They could always use them as a meat shield. So you kind of get that push and pull. Like you said with this, where it's just the freaking government issuing loans to people so that they can educate themselves and go out and get good jobs. That's what they were told. That's what they were promised. That's what they've been propagandized to believe. You go to college, you're going to be a shiny professional, get a condo, have an ugly ass dog and live the American freaking dream. And it's just not panning out this way. Specifically, you know, in these metropolitan type of cities, these metropolitan areas. Like, I'm sorry, if you're some some freaking 24-year-old who lives in San Francisco or New York City and you have to have six roommates to survive and you got your shiny-ass degree hanging up in your freaking bedroom that you share with your, you know, your stinky roommate and you're just like, this is some fucking bullshit. Yeah. yeah I can understand why you're pretty, pretty freaking pissed off. That makes... All the sense in the world. Um, but yeah, and you know, another thing I would like to ask you, um, how much of this is Biden and them sort of walking this out to see if there's any pushback? Because for example, we saw with the uh the vaccine thing where a whole fucking campaign came out against this fool because it's like, no, but bro, you promised this, you 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 mm-hmm. literally promised this. And um, they came out and they freaking shelled his ass. <laughs> he was getting, he was like, oh shit, hold on. No, wait, no, I'm, no, I'm definitely going to support letting poor and other countries get this freaking vaccine. Now, I know I said that, so I'm going to do it. I wonder if there'll be any pushback on this because a lot of it does feel like Biden doesn't seem to be holding firm on anything. You know, I think he's just yeah. kind of just like, he doesn't want to take any hits. Will he take hits this time? Well, I think with the vaccine thing, it was a combination of the pushback, but also the other capitalists outside of the mm. healthcare industry were like, we need this vaccine because we need markets to function and we need global supply chains to function and we need to vaccinate the fucking starving people in wherever the fuck because our factories need to run, you know, like yeah. and um, and we need, you know, shipping lanes to be to mm-hmm. be functioning and, and running smoothly. So. I mean, that's where like that's where the rest of capital kind of just like the healthcare industry was was isolated on that front because yeah, they were the outgunned. Comp- <laughs> they were outgunned. The pharmaceutical company wants to protect their profits, but the rest of capital wants to protect their profits. And they're like, Yeah, we're willing to throw the pharmaceutical industry under the bus this one time because we need everything else to work. And yep. we need, you know, peasants in uh, in Ecuador to be mining lithium. <laughs> so we need to get them the vaccine because if not, they're they're going to die, and we don't we can't have that. So, so I think that that's what um, I think that that's what happened. Also, in conjunction with the sort of progressive pushback to the va- to the vaccine, um, student debt capital is fine with student debt because it is great to have the. Don't you want to pay those debts? You need a job well, to pay those that, debts. Like, well, they, they like to keep workers in a precarious state, right? Um, yeah. You know, just teetering on the edge. That's where capital mm-hmm. likes workers. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they want them just enough to be productive, but also desperate enough to, you know, submit to your every single uh, women demand. So, 
Um, and then of and then of course it doesn't it doesn't hurt um that or it doesn't help in our case that people within the Democratic Party, so many fucking Dems could give a fuck about any of this shit. Right. Oh, yeah. Um Jeff Stein put out a tweet where he's like, I'm losing track of congressional Dems uneasy with Biden's tax plans. So far, head of DC D Triple C warns of 22% impact. Um, the, the SALT crew, Manchin, others opposed 28% rate. Menendez, Warner, disapproval of capital gains hike on a million plus. Um, Axney, <laughs> others now test tester, worried about heirs tax. These are fucking Dems, man. Yeah. Mark Warner, by the way, I think the second richest guy in the Senate. But uh, um, so his capital Jesus. gains tax, you know, he, he don't, he doesn't like, you know, he's got plenty of millions. Jesus. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing is like, you know, vote blue no matter who they told us, you know, and yep. um, uh, they have no excuse. I mean, they control the Senate. They control like they could pass shit. They could they could pass good things that we like um, and would help people. But they don't because because they are ideologically and structurally captured. Um, and it's just it's it's depressing in a way because, you know, the 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 road to progress is a long one. And, um, you know, we're this this the on the one hand what they always sell us is like the latest emergency like look at these bad republicans like look at these bad republicans and Fuck there's truth to that I'm like sick I'm, of that. I, I'm sick of that too but like there's some truth to it like what are you gonna do like but for the republicans no you're not gonna do that so um <laughs> but on the other hand like that that rock in a hard place that you find yourself in is that you have to then like work with these fucking awful people who are terrible, like just awful, awful, awful human beings. And, you know, like getting out of that dynamic is just incredibly, it's an incredibly difficult one. And it's going to be a long haul. Like this sort of these early um, takes about like this new Biden administration as, you know, the new FDR is just, is just ridiculous. Like, I mean, FDR, Famously said, I welcome their hatred when he talked about like the capitalist class opposing um, <laughs> everything. He said because he came, he was an aristocrat, which is interesting to me. Yeah. Like that's what's always interesting to me about FDR. He's an arist an aristocrat, like essentially like he American sold his loyalty. class. He's a class trader, right? But he wasn't an industrialist, right? He right. just grew up like rich as fuck, and you know, <laughs> like going to the fancy parties and the fancy schools and like living in like incredible houses and in like you know the Hudson Valley and shit like that. Um, but, uh, but he was like, I hate those people. Like, I, I hate all those people. I'm gonna go, you know, <laughs> I welcome you know? their hatred. <laughs> yeah. He said that. And Biden does not welcome their no, hatred at all. Absolutely he not. He's like, you know, but he said that in the meeting, he was like, you never mess with business. No. Never mess with business. No. no. Business is great. No. Always. No matter how much they're shoving it up, shoving it up our asses without permission or even any lubrication. Um, <laughs> I just I just wonder who's going to do the job of riling people up against this shit, man. Like, who's going to do it? Obviously, we know eventually Bernie's going to come out and condemn all of, these, all of this backtracking because that's what he does. That's what he always does. That's what he's always done. Okay. How the fuck else are we supposed to wake up all of these damn people who were convinced that just getting Trump out was going to be just this great panacea? It was going to fucking, it was going to change everything. Just getting rid of Trump was going to make our lives wonderful. 
how do we rile people up to this reality that Joe Biden has to actually do stuff? He yeah. has to actually do it. He actually yeah. has to whip up votes amongst his um fucking Democratic Party members. Like he has to get people in line. He has to fucking actually be a politician. Like what the fuck, bro? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like it's crazy because the Republicans are passing all these laws in all these states to like re restrict the, the franchise and people's ability to vote and things like that. And Luke Savage, who wrote the uh, the piece in Jackman we're talking about, but also wrote a piece for The Atlantic uh, this week in which he's talking about like, you know, Dems love to use like this maximalist rhetoric um, around like, you know, a threat to democracy and like Trump is a fascist and the Republican Party is like these evil people while they do nothing, literally nothing to nothing. stop them um, from passing all these laws, who, which are literally a threat to democracy and anti and 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 just totally authoritarian and um, in, ensuring a minoritarian rule over the entire political system like they just do nothing, nothing, nothing. Their their plan to stop that is nowhere near um, as hysterical as it needs to be like as their rhetoric is you know which is totally hysterical all the time you know but like that's why people on some level like almost everyone like thinks that liberals are full of shit and it's because they kind of are you know like when they say things like that and like they don't really mean it like people know they don't really mean it because like they're, <laughs> they're their hair's on fire constantly and they're constantly sounding the alarm but then they don't do anything about it you know and that's that's that is becoming very very clear with all this voting stuff is like, they're just like letting the Republicans do all this shit with, with zero opposition, zero opposition. It's, it's, it's really crazy. I know we kind of ebb and flow on this show every single week between optimism and utter despair. I guess this week is a <laughs> despair week, but we move on to more liberals who are full of shit. Uh, man, this is a good one. We this is this is this, <laughs> this is a good one. <laughs> this is amazing. It's amazing. Um yeah, New York Times expose on as I said at the top of the show, a woman named Andrea Smith, a progressive scholar who basically faked Native Wait, American an, I, an icon of Native American feminism is what yes, she Yes, is what she was known for. And she faked it the whole time, Nando. This woman, <laughs> this woman literally was just lying about being <laughs> Cherokee. And then to compound that, was making herself one of the most prominent Cherokee speakers in all of America. Along the way, like questioning how hardcore, legitimate Cherokee people were within the movement getting all these great jobs in academia, uh, you know, protesting her, her lived experience as a Cherokee woman and all this other crap, you know, Rachel Dolezal's and the lady from Brooklyn who was faking to be uh, Puerto Rican or whatever she was faking to be. Jessica Cruz, AKA Jess La Bombonera. Yeah. <laughs> Every time so you good. say her fake name is hilarious. Um, it's so good. You know, in the midst of all of these things happening, all of these people lying, you know, more and more people coming out like, yo, Katie, uh, excuse me, um, um, uh, Andy Smith is, is lying. She's lying to yeah. people. This is a freaking lie. Like, yeah. And, you know, we laugh about it, Nando, because 
you know, part of it is why I can't take liberalism seriously. Uh, yeah. It is this sort of like this deification of people just for having a certain identity. Uh, we need to stop with that shit. And you ask yourself why um, these white women want to do it. Just look at this lady's career. Faking being a well, Native American well, helped not her. Just that, but, not just that, but within that context, she became famous for being the one of the lead advocates and thinkers against the so-called pretendians or pretend <laughs> Indians. Yeah. So she was active in the that movement in the 1990s. I mean, it's like it's like it's just like, so uh, she was acting in the 1990s. She was active in the movement um, against so-called pretendians. I'm reading from the piece now, um, including the successful passage of a national law prohibiting non-native people from marketing their art as Indian. Smith found her voice within that protest movement in 1991 oh when she published an essay in Miss Magazine calling out white feminists and New Agers for co-opting native identities. Quote, when white feminists see how white people have historically oppressed others and how they are coming very close to destroying the earth, they often want to disassociate themselves from their whiteness, Smith wrote. Uh, much. <laughs> they, they do this by opting to become Indian. In this way, they can escape responsibility and accountability for white racism. Of course, white feminists want to become only partly Indian. They do not want to be a part of our struggles for survival against genocide, and they do not want to fight for treaty rights or an end to substance abuse or sterilization abuse. That was written by a white lady, <laughs> which is just amazing. A white lady who was herself pretending to be Cherokee. Native. And, yeah. you know, it's obvious to me why you do this. Again, not only do you get to ascend to the, the heights, but what does that mean? That means you don't have to be just a foot soldier. These white people don't want to be foot soldiers in some movement that helps whatever this marginalized population is. They want to be the queens of the fiefdom. They want to own the yeah. space. They want to dominate the space, um, which is just, you know, and I hate to use this rhetoric, but like it's just another form of colonization. It's all, it's all it is. This lady is just doing more white colonizing. Like it's like I own this space now. I dominate this space. Yeah. And it's and it's like, OK, so, you know, how people have to square this in their heads. Like, you know, we live, uh, you know, white supremacy is very real in America. So why would anyone who is white? want to not be white like you know that louis ck joke you know like if i got to re-up on white every year i would do that you know like you know what i mean like it's better to be like it's better in this country every to time. be white you know but like so why would anyone um pretend to be not white and it's like it's like this article gets into it like specifically within academia there's been so many cases of this i mean we know about the jessica krug and we know about this lady we know this about elizabeth warren um but <laughs> which like i, I will not forget about you had to get that one in but <laughs> like there's been several more over the last years and so in, in this article gets into it they they quote a um a, a professor who is helped found something called the uh, american indian alaska native professors association and he and he looks at the um, 1,500 university educators who are listed as Native American. There's apparently 1,500 who are listed as Native American. He thinks at least uh, it's about one third of them are actually Native American. Jesus that two thirds of them are not. So, so Holy what's going shit. on here? What's going on here? Why would someone un living under like white supremacy, like do something that's you know like why would they renounce their whiteness and do something else? 
And I think what you have to realize is that it's not like everything is uniformly white supremacist. Right. Especially right. in certain liberal circles, especially in academia, things like culture, things like, you know, Hollywood these days, um, things like, you know, the, the media, there has been a shift. And now it is better to be, you know, insert minority oppressed in here, those you know? spaces. In those spaces, like yeah, you don't want to be. Or now, you know, you by the way, <laughs> you don't want to pretend to be black if you're like working in the oil and gas sector. Like that'll get no. you nothing. You know what I mean? No. But in academia, that gets you a certain a, a certain level of prestige, uh, um, and certainly in in Hollywood, that's true now as well. That there is there is such a um, there is such a been such a kind of rush toward to diversify. Uh, Hollywood and the awards and things like where like honestly like I can see why certain people would be like I'm actually uh, you know I'm actually like one fourth Latinx yeah. and that you yeah. know like that that makes me count as the like I got called I got called by a headhunter the other day was um, <laughs> for an executive search uh, it was so funny for like a really big job like a job that I am not qualified for oh, at all. Yeah. <laughs> And they were like, yeah, we just, you know, like we want to talk to you because you have a very interesting, you know, resume and, and you just, you just came up on one of our lists as a, as a Latinx uh, executive in media. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I don't want to get you or me in trouble right now. I am not Latinx. I am from Spain. You know, you get, you're navigating some fucking dicey waters over here because we are the colonizers, my man. We are, uh, we the are oppressors. the imperialists. We're the oppressors of the Latinx, uh, you know, people, and we are not invited to the Latinx party. We are, if anything, Hispanic, uh, you know, but uh, we are like, so I don't want to get you in trouble. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to pull Elizabeth Warren, <laughs> you know, Listen. Um, but. but they were they were interested in me for this job which I am grossly unqualified for, like just like, comically unqualified for. <laughs> because you checked because off the I box. because I because I checked off a box. Like they they needed to diversify, and they're just like they're they they just needed they need to check the box, and they're like this guy. And, this and guy I checked think the box. more importantly, most most importantly, dude, is that out in the world you still get to be a white woman, like Andy Smith when she's not on her fucking native american activist lane feminist lane when she oh, goes yeah. to the she's grocery not living store no when she goes to the grocery store or the mall she's a white woman when she interacts with the cops she's a white woman like she gets to be white in every other context but this one context where it doesn't benefit her so that's another reason why it's like yeah of course you should be doing that shit if it's going to help you in your fucking career. And in every other context, you get to interface with the world as a white person. Yeah. I mean, it's well, the most important one of those is that she gets to live in like Ann Arbor when she worked at the University of Michigan. And, you know, she's not living on, on a Native American reservation, right. which are like riddled with poverty and like, right. you know, just get like the work. You know what I mean? Like, um, so yeah, she. That's that's really the the benefit. Like, if she had to go move to like an, an Indian reservation, she'd be like, "Oh no, I'm 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 white." <laughs> you know, and and here's the thing that people need to understand: um, you can advocate for things that you don't happen to be in that racial whatever like yeah. group, right? Like, you can well, advocate for trans rights and not be a trans. You can yeah. be a voice for it and whatever. Again. Uh, I think what people 
run into difficulties in those spaces, especially with this kind of shit. It, it, it does tend to be a more brainier academic type who is in the space of advocating for trans rights. And when you get into these dumbass, you know, sort of in pseudo intellectual mudslinging fights, the tiebreaker often is, are you trans or not? Are you native American or not? Yeah. Um, not as your idea, whatever good or bad. It's like, you're not even the real McCoy. So you don't even, you shouldn't even be advocating and yeah. blah, 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 blah. And that's where a lot of these things, the lines sort of get drawn here. Well, you, you mentioned it earlier that there's the liberal form of racism is a, is a, is a particular kind of like uh, essentializing people who are, you know, non-white in some way, like in, in putting them into a monolith and removing them of all agency by, by making them kind of like perfect, yeah. like in an idealized way. Like, you know what I mean? Like minority communities have all kinds of like bad things too. You know what I mean? Like they're not like perfect people. No one is like, right. it's impossible for anyone to be perfect. But like what they do is they flatten them and they turn them into an idea rather than a human being. Right. You know, and 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 it that's like that's an that's its own form of insidious racism. You know, that's yeah. what it is. And what they've what what it's done is it's created this situation in which it's essentially paralyzed any sort of um, cross racial solidarity because. Yes. It, thank you. <laughs> it makes it impossible for. Under this kind of ideological framework, it makes it impossible for someone to, you know, care, talk about, engage with, uh, you know, an issue that isn't exactly their own little kind of perfect identity, right? So, like, it, it makes it very difficult for white people or Hispanic people or whatever to, like, engage with, like, you know, police brutality of, of black people because it's like wait you have to like take a step back and you have to like you know you have to you don't you can you don't get to talk about this because you're blah 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 and like what the reaction of most people is to that kind of thing is like okay well then fuck you like i'm not gonna care yeah. about this <laughs> you so, know what i mean like why would i care about this <laughs> if i'm like just being told like that my opinion doesn't matter or not or not just my opinion but like that i that I'm, i can't even talk about it you know um, and 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 people would say, and again, like a lot of people, reasonable people would say, it's two sides of the same coin, like you just mentioned. If somebody vilifying all black people and somebody deifying all black people, it's just two sides of the same racist coin, yeah. right? Like stripping stripping black people of their humanity and their individuality on a you know on a case by case basis, while again, like. And we're gonna we have to say this shit over and over on this show. Like you cannot divorce blackness from the class question. Like of course you can't. Like when, once you do that, you're getting it all wrong. Um, you you cannot talk about the plight of black people in this country without addressing the underlying undergirding conditions. Okay, like it's the systems that reinforce all of these terrible things that black people go through if you're not doing both and you're just going with the oh poor little black boy had to grow up in the projects isn't he so resilient isn't yeah. he such a striver and a fighter and yeah. blah 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 he's so well, also 
and also at the same time, like, oh, Oprah Winfrey, you know, you're suffering from racism all the oh, time. Oh, God, like, Jesus like, Christ. You know, it flattens those two experiences, the kid from the projects and, you know, Oprah, uh, which, you know, they, they, they just like it at just this point does in their lives. No, like, it does us no favors and it doesn't take a freaking, it doesn't take Einstein to recognize the hypocrisy and the stupidity of it. Um, yeah. You know, on the one hand, you're a class warrior because you love these poor little rich um black people on the other hand um oprah winfrey's great just because she's black are we erasing the fact that she's a fucking trillionaire like it's <laughs> it's 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 not hard to understand or see right like this idea and i always use watts as an example like the idea that my existence here in the valley is the exact same as a homie and watts because I'm yeah. black doesn't make sense. It's yeah. not. I don't not. live the same experience. Yes, I'm just as black as that person is, but my experience is different because I don't live over there. You know, yeah. the conditions over here are not the same. The cops say hi to me here. You know, yeah, your class position, wave. your class position has changed. You're now yes. at the ringer, dude. You've you've been you've, you've made it. Baby. Hey, hey now, hey you've now, made it. hey now, you've made hey it now. into the bourgeoisie, baby. Hey Welcome, now. raise the roof. <laughs> Welcome. We are now we are now both fucking asshole PMCs. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. I'm an upwardly mobile black. Um, and yes, I like good wine. And yes, yes you do. I've seen it. I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> if Waz comes over, buy a bunch of bottles of good wine. Just so, uh, yeah, yes, I, I, yes, I would be a satisfied house guest. But no, seriously, Nando, it's important to even, you know, talk about this shit, man. Because this story is so illustrative of everything that's horrible. And I know a lot of people are going to hear this and feel like we're basically echoing Tucker Carlson. And a lot of ways we are, though, in the sense yeah. that Tucker Carlson is cynically. Yeah. He sees a weakness in yes. the liberal argument of the moment, and yes. he's, he's he's pinpointing it, and he's like, it's almost like you're watching a boxing match, and there's the guy has a cut in the eye, and the guy who's fighting him yeah. keeps jabbing him, jabbing him in the yeah. eye. That's what Tucker yeah. Carlson is doing. That that cut, that scar is there. It's yeah, real. He smells blood in the water. He smells yes. blood in the water, and he's going after it. But like the the point is, it's not that he's wrong it's just that he's an asshole it's like the Lebowski yes. line I know Lebowski's like white cannon and doesn't you know um but like um but he's not it, like he he's not wrong to identify the weakness he's wrong in that his prescriptions are all wrong and that he's yep. full of shit but yep. you know the left-wing critique of of that is the correct one that you know that 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 essentialize someone someone for the race is just wrong both morally ethically but also strategically you know that the the real essentialization that that is strategically viable is a class one because it ties everyone to their own self-interest you know, <laughs> yes. like that's what it does that's that's the marxist kind of view of class it's not like some it's not like some idealized thing. It's not magic. It's a nuts and bolts thing. It's not magic. It's about nuts and bolts, about tying someone to their own self-interest. And so, like, if yours, if my self-interest is tied to your self-interest, was our racial differences like will not matter. Evaporate. It won't matter as much. Like, you know, like, like I might say something off color or whatever. But like, if we're tied in that in that way in solidarity, like our ability to fight will be so much better because it's in our interest. And, and and honestly, I'm not going to lie. It is my opinion that only elites 
both black, white, whatever, um, care about sort of how gruff a Midwestern coal miner is on the topic <laughs> of race. I really yeah. don't think that actually downtrodden black people care quite as much because their problems go way deeper. I will I die that. believing yeah. that. I, I swear that. to God. I don't think, for instance, my mom or my parents, I always use them as an example, as immigrants to this country who work blue-collar jobs, they did not care about the racial enlightenment of the white people who they encountered. They just did not care. Could I pay my bills on time? Yes or no? That's the question. That's the essential question. And to make that less essential than, you know, whether or not somebody's fucking Cherokee or not is a mistake <laughs> and it's a problem. It's a yeah. mistake and it's a problem because, you know, the, the, the issues that Native Americans face in this country, like you said, like poverty, you know, um, drug addiction, a lot of the violence that happens on reservations, like these are fucking real problems that need to be solved. Um, and, you know, essentializing who wants to help with who help wants to help solve the problem by whether or not they're indigenous people or not is is that defeats the purpose, in my opinion. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I encourage everybody to go read this New York Times article because it is just riveting. <laughs> it's, a, it's a doozy. It's a doozy. It's, it's a doozy. Yeah. All right. And yeah, like we said at the top of the show, Nando, and I do want you to um set this up yeah. because Alex Press wrote a story for Jacobin magazine, the title being We're Being Worked to Death by Capital. Um, and the line goes, long working hours kill more than 700,000 people per year, even as millions are unable to find enough work to survive. The irrationality of capitalism has a human price. Yeah. Break down what, yeah, what, what Alex has given us there, Ando. So this is a new study published by the World Health Organization, which looks at the deaths caused by people who are for, forced to work more than 45 hours a week. And apparently they crunched the numbers and the deaths mostly driven by stroke and heart disease, um, like increase dramatically if you're working more than 45 hours a week. Um, it says it puts those working these hours at an estimated 35% higher risk of stroke and 17% higher risk of heart disease um, compared to people working 35 to 40 hour work weeks. So 35 percent more chances of having fucking stroke um and it's because the stress itself of the job is just bad for you like if you're just stressed out all the time because you're working all the time like that's bad for you but also when you're working all the time and you're stressed you you start to develop worse habits like you drink more you smoke more you eat worse you exercise less all those things which uh lead to mm -hmm. uh you know cardiovascular disease and it, that results in over 700,000 deaths a year, which is just wild to think about. And I, I think about this kind of thing all the time because I remember when France passed the 35-hour work week. You know, in America, we in theory had a 40-hour work week, um, which is nine to five, eight hours a day, five, time, five times a week. France passed a 35-hour work week, which was 
seven hours a day. It was nine to four or 10 to five. <laughs> and um, in America, like just total ridicule uh, about this, like just ridicule, <laughs> like just like look at those lazy frogs, those French bastards, just like <laughs> just fucking, you know, uh, you know, stroking their little Pepe Le Pew uh, and, and eating their eating They're their sissies. And They're their sissies. That's They're what sissies. Americans They're call sissies. them. They don't yeah. want to work. They don't want to work. Um, turns out they're smarter than all of us, you know, because uh, that is the road to a quality of life. But the the corollary that Alex pressed, and she ties this very cleverly, is that the modern economy, the 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 trend, the trends ever, ever since the Industrial Revolution, the trends have been for people to be working less and less hours. Okay, you know, because workers like organized, they develop unions, uh, they they and they fought back, and they basically codified that yo, you can't work us twelve hours a day to like death. they used to. Yeah, like they used to. Like workers used to work seven days a week, like 12, 14 hour days. Fucking crazy. Um, and but what's what's been happening recently under especially in with the rise of the Internet and the so-called gig economy um, and like new technologies is a bifurcation. It's workers, some workers working a shit ton of hours and then other workers working like un, like underworked, like meaning like they're underpaid because they they work like part time and they can't find full-time steady work and this this is this has been especially true in the retail sector which used to be mostly full-time jobs but now with the introduction of these things that are like you know algorithms that figure out exactly how many customers are going to be at a store at any given moment based on things like the fucking rain and shit you know they can time when they need their workers exactly so they're on these kind of like flexible temp contracts you know and it means that you're always have to be on but you're also working less you know, so it's like the worst of both worlds. So you're seeing workers working overtime and workers working too little and thus getting underpaid. And what that creates is basically like a two-tiered labor system, but also it allows capital to have this reserve of workers that are just constantly available for them, you know, because they're desperate and underpaid. And then the other people who are like overworked and and stressed out about it like they're just worried about all those other people who are just ready to take their jobs any moment now um and that's the perfect situation for capitalism so um i just thought it was an interesting piece because it really just shows the malaise of the modern economy and just how important it is for us to think of ourselves as workers and to like think about our time as sacred you know and then like yeah. it's just like a thing that doesn't that isn't like discussed as much as it used to be I mean, it's it's really simple. We should be thinking about our time the same way capital think capital thinks about their money. Be stingy yeah. as hell with it. That's that's yeah, just yeah, yeah. you know what I'm saying. Just the idea, like, look, man, I'm I'm somebody. I'll tell anybody this. I ain't no damn workaholic. I'm sorry. I will never be a workaholic for anybody <laughs> i will do what is asked of me and i will do it to the best of my abilities but i'm not killing myself for a job it just doesn't make any sense like the point of a job is to you know basically facilitate make enough money things. to live yes yeah exactly facilitate the things that make our lives worth living, spending time with our loved ones, living in a place that's suitable, right? Like I can take a warm shower. I have AC when it's freaking hot as hell out. The heat works when it's freaking cold, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I can feed myself relatively well 
Um, I can go out and have a dinner with the people who I love and, you know, share, uh, enjoy their company, et cetera, et cetera. That's the point. If you can't do any of those things or enjoy them because of your job, what are we doing here? Yeah. <laughs> Does it make you know, it's sense? something that I, I grew up in Spain and in Spain, um, people just have like a different priority set than in Americans and Americans sometimes get very frustrated when they go to Europe and like they go to a restaurant and like the service isn't that great or they go to a store and like the workers are just like not that they're not like throwing themselves at your feet like oh my god is there anything I can do for you right now they're not slaves (laughs) they're not slaves to their work like it's because they have like stronger labor power and protections and they don't like you know like it's much harder to fire someone in Spain um and and so you know like and yeah, because that's what, and that's why the food is better in Spain. <laughs> it's like why the drink is better in Spain. Like you know, it's what, it, like that's what it, that's, that's the trade off. Like you know, like you either have like a little slave for you every time you walk into a store, but you know, like at the end of the day, like you're a worker too. You know, like you right that that whole system creates a situation in which like yeah, you have a temporary you have a temporary tyrannical relationship over your waiter in the restaurant in which you can like let him make him do the hokey pokey and turn himself around just to get a tip. Um but but <laughs> but you're but you're being oppressed by that as well. You know, and I think like people in Europe understand that a little bit better where like, you know, they don't give a shit. Like they're like they're not going to like they're not going to like debase themselves um for a job (laughs) it's just like and you know like there's trade-offs to that but like overall i think the quality of life is definitely better although i will say as a new yorker who that whole hustle 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 is ingrained in us from very young like this idea that you gotta like work your ass off like a psychopath I think the Californians have taken it a little too far in the other direction. Like, there's just no See, service. you're the same, dude. There's you're the same, no service whatsoever. You're the same. I don't you're want you to kiss my ass, but can you just do your job? Like, at all? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't need my You're the same, Waz. You're part of the problem, dude. Listen, listen. My job when I go to a restaurant is not to have my ass kissed. It's actually to coax that out of the person who's working with me. Mm-hmm. I see it right. as my job to flirt, cajole, to get yeah. them to get there with yeah. me. Um, You're flirting so, with the hot waitress. Oh, just for I'm, that, fir- right? I'm that's flirting. The only re- I'm flirting that's the only with reason. Not hot waitress. I'm flirting with okay. them all, man. Oh, yeah. I'm flirting with the men and with the, the waiter. Women. Yeah, yeah. Me. I'm doing all of it. I see that as my <laughs> job as a patron to, you know, sort of make this an experience that we're both at least semi enjoying, right? Um, and again, I don't expect you like this. Certain restaurants that you go to in New York. East Asian restaurants, and I'm not trying to stereotype. I'm just telling you, this is an observation as somebody who's gone out a lot in Flushing and Chinatown, et cetera, et cetera, where the lady will literally stay at your Wohop, legendary restaurant, legendary Chinese food, um, will literally stand three feet from your table and just wait for you to need something. Where I'm just like, <laughs> right, this is. This is a level of service that's kind of uncomfortable. Like, I, I, you know, I don't, <laughs> I, we don't want you doing all of that now. But I'm telling yeah. you, Nando, you walk into a restaurant in here, it'll be 10 minutes for a wait, waiter comes by and says, Do you just want water? Can I just drink yeah. water? And then there'll be, and then well, the freaking that's Los for Angeles. Reason, though, it's, oh, it's because of the drought. Yeah. Okay. Can yeah. I have some fun? No, it's, water, a, it's for a different reasons. It's because they're all wannabe actors. So they're, they don't give a shit about it. <laughs> it's not their career. You know? <laughs> 
That's what it is. It really is what it is. It's, it's a fact. It's a fact. Yeah. This is the stepping stone until they become the next Brad Pitt. But yeah, yeah. we just wanted to highlight that, you guys, man, because if anything, I do want to be the show that that explains to people that they should be actively trying to seek a better work-life balance. You know, um, stop answering emails at 9.30 p.m. Stop. Don't do it. Yeah. Anybody who gets pissed at it is just like, bro, you're a dick. You're an asshole. Yeah. If you're mad that your email yeah. was not promptly answered at 9.30, when I wake up at 7 tomorrow morning, I'll answer your email. But when I'm at the yeah. crib at 9.30, yeah. nah, fuck off. Yeah. You know, and I would encourage people to just try it more. You know, yeah. some people be like, well, it's easy for you to say, Waz, you're locked into a career of talking headdom. Maybe. I don't know. But I'm just saying, man, none of y'all should be. I would never send an email at 930. You should never answer one. Yeah. Yeah. Be the change you want. Want to so. see in the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's our show for today. As always, we encourage you guys, if you love what we do here at Count the Dings, Black Opinions Matter feed, Please become a patron at patreon.com backslash count the dings. Every single ounce of support counts. I know a lot of people are struggling out there, but if you can afford a couple Starbucks per month to give to count the dings, please, we encourage you to become a Patreon and check us out um, over there. We got extra content, all of that, and it helps fuel all the great stuff that people like me and Nando are giving you guys every single week. Of course, um, we will see you guys next week. Uh, Fernando Vilan, Big Wise, we out of here. Later. <laughs>